Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where we review films. Nice. No gossip this week. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic, uh, and with me, as always, is the resplendent and intelligent William Bibiani. Introduce yourself. Hi, my name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs, and I'm only hazily aware of what resplendent means. I think it's good. <laughs> Regal? Yeah. Is? Splend. It has splendid. Splend- yeah. Splendidness yeah. is in there. That's the root. Right. It's the root form of that yeah, word. I'll look it up later. Okay. Anyway, this week on Critically Reclaimed. Re- reclaimed. Recla- critically Reclaimed. Yeah, we're bringing it back. Oh, that's what we should have called uh, the, the Streaming Club. Oh, shit, you're right. That's that a better name. For, yeah, we have a, we have a Streaming Club podcast where critically we watch older movies. Critically Reclaimed. Critically Reclaimed. We should have called it that. Oh, well, too I'm late not, now. No, it's not. It's our show. We can call it anything we want. <laughs> okay, maybe we'll... I'm writing that down, and if it if it takes, like if like a week later we're like, hey, that's still clever, we might rename that show. <laughs> but here on Critically Acclaimed, uh, we review new films, and we have seen four new films this week between the two of us. Yep, we're reviewing the new releases, The Suicide Squad, not to be confused with A Suicide Squad. Not just, you're, you're the, the Suicide Squad? Uh, the new Sparks musical from director Leos Carax, starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard. Annette, the new animated musical with songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda, Vivo, and the uh, the really hard-hitting documentary about uh, all the wildfires that are going out of control right now. Uh, it's called Bring Your Own Brigade. So uh, let's start with the film that is sort of like, it's the biggest, but like all everyone wants to talk about is how like, oh my God, can you believe the latest DC movie? didn't make like a lot of money at the box office an opening weekend in the middle what of a, a plague when it's also available on streaming at the same time. Well, what I find curious is uh, this, this whole series that uh, you know colloquially referred to as the DCEU. Mm-hmm. This is the uh, the 10th or the 11th, depending on how many cuts of Justice League you count. Mm-hmm. Uh, or other Joker counts, I think, is also oh, man, easy. No, it's, it's not part of the same series. Whatever. It's, it, you know, they're all kind of... Vague, characters yeah. out of that comic book company. Uh at least half of these have come out of the gate with, uh, dis- quote, disappointing box office. Like, even even a big hit like uh, Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice mm-hmm. was expected was, to be was, a billion-dollar yeah, movie. It was a it gigantic movie in one weekend, and then it dropped off severely in the second weekend. Uh, Birds of Prey was considered kind of a disappointment. I think the only one that was kind of an unexpected runaway was Aquaman. Aquaman made a billion dollars, yeah. and I think people were at least pleasantly surprised. Yeah, like, yeah. If, even even Man of Steel was like considered to underperform. Well, Shazam didn't make a ton of money mm-hmm. either. It was it was probably one of the most critically successful films in the and, series. Uh, but like, I think it it's wasn't also the lowest. I think it's also the lowest grossing of this series. It might be. Yeah. So uh, this has been it's, like it's my favorite of the series. If you if you consider financial gross to be some sort of mm, bellwether in, yeah. indicator of quality it's really hard to get a bead on these movies but here's the thing and i will say this over and over again until i run out of breath mm. financial success has little or nothing to do with actual quality I'm, lots of terrible movies have made money lots of mm. awful movies have struggled to find an audience until many years later in some cases some still haven't found a great audience yep. uh, well, our concern is uh, the quality of the film not whether it makes money and especially right now to have a conversation about like how a movie is doing at the box office as being some kind of indication of how the franchise is going i think is entirely disingenuous well, it's, there's there's so many x factors right now there's two things going on here uh, one is uh, yeah we're in the middle of a pandemic yeah. and 
uh, all of these blockbuster films, the studios are taking a bath. Even yeah. the films that are making pretty good money, like uh, like uh, Fast, uh, and Furious 9. Fast and Furious or uh, Black, like, Black Widow. I think these, it made, like, made, it made like $600 million, which yeah. is pretty good. It was expected to make a billion. Exactly. Yeah. The, that was so the plan. Yeah. The studios are losing money on most of these. Yeah. Uh, even so, like uh, Mulan was supposed to be a huge hit. Yep. They just dropped that on Disney+. Plus. Uh, yeah. I think the game really changed back when Trolls World Tour came out uh, right at the start of yep. start of lockdown and it made a hundred million dollars without going to theaters and people realized or studios that is realized they could make a lot of money this way. Secondly, uh, it's curious that um, a lot of people who are fans of these types of movies, the superhero fans are used to the films they love being big hits. Yep. And when a film that they really love isn't, it causes a little bit of cognitive dissonance. It feels like, a wait a minute, personal, this, this, doesn't it? Like, wait a minute. I thought this was... I thought we were all part of this gigantic tribe. We all love this thing, and we're all going to go see it, and it's all going to be a big hit. Yeah, and when it's, we all agreed to make this yeah, a big hit. When it's not as big a hit as any of the previous ones, mm-hmm. it, it feels a little off to a lot I, of the, I, the fans. I feel as though we've inherited a lot of um, sort of trepidation mm-hmm. about how long these sorts of franchises are going to last because for many, many years, comic book movies, with the exception of Superman and Batman, and even those two both had like two really big popular ones and like two that kind of underperformed. And Mm. in the case of Batman, it was one and three. In the case of Superman, it was one and two were the ones that were considered big hits at the time. Uh, But regardless, there were like four of those movies. Only two of them did really, really great. Uh, And then they fell off and then they Mm. got rebooted. And... People don't want them rebooted. They want these things to go on forever. They want to, like, these are the ones we like, and we want them to stick around for forever. And uh, they will. They're going to get rebooted. They're going to get recast. They're going to be fine. They're not going to stop making Batman movies. They're not going to stop making these movies. Or or maybe they will, mercifully, someday. Well, you know what uh, I mean? My point is this. It doesn't fucking matter. These are uh, giant mega franchises. These are things that the studios know they can make a lot of money about. If they move to TV for a while... Okay. Yeah, that, and that's fine. The, that happens it, too. And it's know, streaming well, or what's going to happen? It's going to be a big blend. There's going to be some yeah. on TV, some on streaming. There's going to be some on that now. Theaters. I think they're moving uh, further and further in that direction. The Suicide Squad is a blended release. Uh, it's released in theaters and it's on HBO Max. As mm-hmm. is going to be the case with all of the Warner Brothers hits this year. Um, the The Suicide Squad is. Uh, sort of a sequel, but also kind of a redo of yeah. uh, David Ayer's Suicide Squad, which was a big hit, but wasn't well received. Uh, yeah, uh, it made the, a ton the, of yeah. money, but my God, is it terrible. And it's another one where uh, it's pretty much universally confirmed that mm. this David Ayer shot a film, Warner Brothers had it like dramatically re-edited, and yeah, they, it's still obviously the same basic narrative but apparently he's, yeah. he's, he was really unhappy with it well and i was unhappy with it too because it's, it's a bad film it's a very bad uh, motion picture and it's, just, uh, it's a non the first like 30 40 minutes of that movie just reintroduces the characters like four times and there's all this really stupid clunky exposition non-stop uh, montages it's, like it's just the same it's three also uh, fucking helicopter explosions and it, it assumes so that we feel more about the characters than perhaps uh the film lets us know it's like mm-hmm. this is captain boomerang Am I supposed to know something about Captain Boomerang? Yeah. Uh, Captain can, Boomerang is back, uh, yeah. as is Harley Quinn. Uh, and, uh, Cap- and Rick Flagg, and Rick, by Joel Kinnaman. R- Rick Flagg. And, the, uh, and, and Amanda Waller, played by uh, Viola, Viola Davis. Viola Davis. Those yeah, the, the, the premise is the same. Time. In the uh, Batman-Superman universe, there's a bunch of uh, supervillains that have been apprehended and are in supervillain prison. 
and Viola Davis has offered them a chance to knock years off their sentence if they go on top secret missions, like assassination types of yeah. missions, to do like really bad guy kind of stuff. Yeah, and apparently, and if, and I, if they misbehave, there's bombs in their brains that she'll blow yeah. up, just like uh, Escape from New York. Yeah. Um, one thing I kind of like about this new one is that in the in the original, this was like a new idea, and like a big chunk of the movie was her selling the government mm. on being able to do this. In this one, it's like kind of like just an institution and like mm. towards the beginning when they're all going off on a mission, it's a whole bunch of new, uh, new, uh, super criminals, all of whom are like pretty bargain basement bad guys. So, you know, they're most of them are going to die. Uh, and then Harley Quinn just shows up like, Oh, Hey Harley, you back. Yep. Doing another run. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> they arrested it, me for robbing a bank. I'm going to do a couple of these and then I'm out. <laughs> so she was, yeah. Out, the last time we saw Harley Quinn, it was in the film birds of prey and she was out of prison, yeah. but now she's back and she's back in prison. Mm. She, do, she's just a couple rolling, of suicide yeah. gun runs and uh, suicide squad mm-hmm. runs. And then she's back out in the open. I, I love that. She why just super villains to keep getting out of jail. She just rolls with everything. I love yeah. it. And, uh, she's teamed up with a character named, Bloodsport, mm-hmm. who is uh, played by Idris Elba, he has wet. He has like a, a an Iron Man outfit with like weapons hidden all over it, so he can yeah. like pull off bits and build weapons like kind of out of thin air. Uh, there's a character called the Peacemaker, played by John Cena, who is. Uh, basically su- super patriot guy who will murder everybody so long as there's peace at the end of it. Yeah, he's basically uh, like the worst case scenario Captain America type. Uh, let's see, we've got Polka Dot Man. Uh, uh, who's, uh, and th- these, are, I'm sure, are all like really corny characters taken from mostly, the comics. Mostly yeah. corny characters. Some of them are were like more well respected than others. But he got polka dot man. Uh, he's got he he shoots polka dots at people. Uh, you've got uh, a King Shark, who is a shark guy. He was a shark guy who was voiced by Sylvester Stallone but and kind, kind of a, a very kind of cliched big dumb bruiser character with a shark yeah. head. But dang, if he isn't cute. <laughs> it's, a sh- it's a shark. Sharks are cute. They look terrifying. But he's wearing board shorts. How can you not love yeah, that? This big, big, like, if, yeah, if Hulk make, guy in board shorts. If they make a King Shark plushie, I buy that. That's adorable. I want King Shark. Although, King shark as, as a big, dumb bruiser, Sylvester Stallone's a good choice for the voice. A great choice for the um, voice. And there's a, an intro where we pan oh, from. Sorry, one, like, more, an, one more main oh. character Rat Catcher 2. Oh, that's right. Rat Catcher 2, who yeah. is. Uh, who, whose father was mysteriously killed when he fell down a, an elevator shaft onto some bullets. No, uh, he actually died really tragically. But, oh, well. Uh, it's but the, he, he the had, original he had a, rat catcher could control rats. Now his daughter mag- is yeah, the new rat catcher, and she can control rats. She's, yeah, like a, ma- a magic wand that lets her uh, yeah. uh, communicate with rats. And, and a bunch and, of other people who will all die really quick. Yeah, there's a, yeah. you might have heard like how broad the cast is. Well, yeah. you know... They're not being talked about because they're not in the movie for very long. I, I do love the kind of devil-may-care attitude that uh, James Gunn brought to that early sequence where everybody just sort of gets messily slaughtered. Yeah. Uh, James Gunn famously, rather infamously, came out of the trauma school. Uh, he wrote uh, Tromeo and Juliet, probably his best film, mm-hmm. uh, before going on to making uh, a really tragic uh, superhero deconstruction film called Super. Which I think is really uh, great, but it's fucked up. It's gr- like, it's hard to watch. It's so sad. Yeah. Uh, it's, it sort of like lays into uh, pretty heavily into like the mental illness required to be a superhero. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm going to put on an outfit and hit bad guys with a wrench. But when he hits somebody with a wrench, you get to see them like bleeding and screaming in pain. Yeah. It's not fun violence. Yeah. It's actually horrific violence. That one's great. He also wrote a really, really good superhero comedy that nobody talks about called the specials. That's right. That was him too. That was a really good film. With Thomas Hayden Church and Mm. Rob Lowe and Jamie Kennedy and Mm. Judy Greer. And And that's that's about like the fourth or fifth best superhero team in the world on their day off. Yeah. So it's like one of them has like blue skin, but mostly they're just sort of hanging out and drinking and talking about their relationships. There's like 
10 seconds of an action sequence in that and it's mostly someone beating up a pterodactyl off camera like it's it's really funny though like that movie is actually like full of like really good gags that i think we're like in like the year 2000 or whenever it came out people Mm -hmm. just mainstream audiences just weren't really aware of the tropes enough to laugh at it but i bet if they came out today it would do well maybe so maybe so although james gunn uh as i have now learned i think operates a heck of a lot better when he's on a a shoestring Mm. uh because and i felt this way about his guardians of the galaxy films as well the suicide squad would operate a heck of a lot better if it had like a tenth of the budget yeah and all of this stuff about killing off your characters and cussing a lot and sort of reveling in the violence would feel a lot more um, genuine, genuine, subversive, uh, kind of fun. When it's in this big, slick studio production, you know it has a lot of approval from the, the above, those mm-hmm. up above, and it doesn't feel subversive anymore. It just feels like another one. So yeah. every everything that, that is completely like renegade or murderous mm. or violent or whatever. It's it, it does feel like it's carefully selected to be as palatable as possible while being sort of risque. And mm. um and you'll notice that like it's a it's a little risque. Well, it's yeah, like there's, there's, there's plenty plenty of violence in it. There's plenty but, of yeah. violence in it, like and you'll see like King Shark like rip people in half and shit, but at the same time, you know, like they shy away from the sexuality, don't mm. they? Like that's something that they're not comfortable showing or there's there's definite calculation here in terms of what James Gunn is allowed to do and it's not allowed to do. It is worth saying though that of the major superhero movies we've had mm. in the last 20 years or so, this is easily the most violent. This is easily yeah, yeah. the most like this you one know, and, and Deadpool. I guess Deadpool. Yeah. Deadpool. The Deadpool movie. I think even Deadpool isn't as violent as this. I think this yeah. is but generally De- Deadpool just pretty... had the uh, had the advantage of actually feeling a little subversive. Yeah, because it's like bothering to break the fourth wall and joke yeah. about itself and about genre in a it way that taking, the Suicide Squad doesn't. It was taking the piss out of the whole superhero genre, and mm-hmm. this is just taking the piss in general. And that's something that I think I find really frustrating about it. It it. <clears throat> Considering how much money they went into this, considering how much effort, how much That's time, it. and how much, you know, just overall space it takes up, it's kind of frustrating how insubstantial it feels. And I'm not saying that it needs to be deep. That's different. Well, if, if you're I'm going saying to put I want this to feel much, like I got something out of it. If you're going to put this much time and energy, then maybe it should feel deep. Because, yeah. you know, you're, you're showing us these things that are meant to feel sort of large and epic, and the attitude is actually kind of like small and jokey. There's, there's a monster in this film, uh, that is very, uh, wonderfully realized through, uh, some computer special effects. Mm. If it were stop motion, it would have been great. Yeah. Like if they were clearly just trying, like, like, uh, if it looks like the thing from Flesh Gordon, uh, I've never seen Flesh. Gordon. You've never seen Flesh Gordon? No, okay. it's never come up. It, it's it's practically unwatchable, but oh, uh, good. but it's you know <laughs> what a recommendation. I've, I've seen it numerous times just because it's that kind of movie that I was delving into a lot in my twenties. Yeah, but yeah, there's there's a big stop motion monster that that they called um, it, in the movie. It's called the Great God Porno. Uh, <sighs> But uh, on the page, they called it Nesuaira, which is Harryhausen backwards. Cute. Yeah. Cute. In, well, in an homage to Ray well, Harryhausen. And I think that's the kind of vibe I was getting off of this. You, you know, it's, people keep bringing up that James Gunn did trauma. And, and when he was, like, doing Marvel movies, that was seen as sort of this just like, oh, yes, but he grew up. Hmm. And now it's like, and now he reverted. And I feel like he's trying to evoke all that wildness, but he's doing it. This feels like it feels you know what this feels like Mm. the straight to video Suicide Squad Mm. where like there's there's fewer rules because fewer people would be watching yeah and like this would be like a lower budget so you just kind of had to rely on whether or not your script and cast were good if you're gonna make any sort of impact 
Uh, but they ended up spending the exact same amount of money on it. Mm. And it ultimately doesn't feel... Like, we just reviewed on our streaming club podcast, or as we might start calling it, Critically Reclaimed, uh, it's Turkey Shoot, mm. which is an Ozploitation, an Australian exploitation film from 1982, uh, which has actually a very similar tone to this. It's very wild. It's a prison movie. It's an action movie. Mm. It's got a lot of horror elements to it. It's very violent. And but that that one feels like dangerous, and the the wheels are really off of something it, like Turkey it feels, Shoot. It feels legitimately subversive when a movie like Turkey Shoot criticizes the government, they mean it. Whereas mm. when in this movie, which is about uh, Americans sending a bunch of supervillains into a South American country to basically undermine their entire government, and like you know, there's mm. a lot of real world analogs here. They don't want to deal with that. They want to bring it up. But they and they want to be able to say that they had a subtext, but they never actually want to deal with it. And at the end, they don't want to have any consequences for it. Yeah. They don't want to have anything meaningfully said about that other than, eh, the world's pretty fucked up, right? And I'm like, yeah, imagine spending like $180 million and getting all of this talent together and having that little to say. Yeah. So if well, this was if, smaller, I wouldn't care. But it just feels like there's so much on screen. If, it's if so it were, big and so long that like... If it felt nihilistic uh, in mm. some stripe, like there's a, a moment in this film, and I'm not going to give away too much, where uh, the characters have sort of a, a decision to make. And mm. there's they can do something noble or do something ignoble. And yeah. if they had made the ignoble decision in that minute and that was the end of the movie, that would have been kind of daring. That would have been extremely yeah. daring. I would have loved that. Yeah, that would have been a really good ending, in fact. Yeah. like, well, you know, we were here to do a job let's just do something ignoble now and and roll credits and that'll be the end of the movie the world mm-hmm. is an ignoble place we are super villains yeah we're gonna let the harm befall people because we really just don't care yeah and that would have been a wonderfully kind of bitter note to go out on but mm-hmm. it, or even if just some of them had yeah it's like it's like two of them had just done that and just gone and fucked off and yeah. like two of them had tried their best and maybe they died in the process or whatever like that mm-hmm. they that's the sort of thing this doesn't Everyone wants to like evoke the wild bunch. No one wants to evoke the ending of the wild bunch. <laughs> no mm. one wants to get to the point where yeah. they're like, because like the characters die here, but it doesn't feel like they die for any any reason mm. other than James Gunn thought it would be funny, and briefly it is. Sometimes it's like that, the, that the, opening the, sequence is you know a, a good little shocker yeah. of an opening, yeah, but yeah, a little depressing actually. If you ask <laughs> me. It was a little because I'd already liked a few of those characters yeah. and I was kind of bummed out. There's uh, there's a, there's a, a, a and again, this this is. I wish they just put some guy in a mask, but they did this CGI like hairless weasel monster. Oh yeah, the weasel. Yeah, that is just called the weasel. And uh, yeah, I think if they'd put a guy in a mask or like actually had it like vomit on people, like be grosser. Yeah, it would have been a lot better. Instead, it just looks like a CGI thing. I know. There's some good CGI in here, though. I think uh, like the rats look really impressive. Like mm. uh, there's there's. I think Starro. Everyone knows it's Starro now. Oh, uh, yeah. It's uh, everyone knows that that thing is a that thing is a weird looking deal. And yeah. uh, I'm I, you know what? I think it looks neat. It looks neat. Yeah, I like. I, I know. Bit, it would be, I they, agree. They it might of... be cooler if it was in stop motion, but it still looks neat. And I think they yeah. did fun things with the with the concept. He's kind of a famous DC villain, but it's a little <laughs> hard. It's hard to pull off because he's kind of ludicrous. Yeah, and, I, I, yeah. I don't know about. I never heard about Starro the oh, Conqueror. But, one uh, of the one of the first one of the first Justice League villains, I think. Actually, yeah, it goes back yeah. really far. Um, and it's the character's been brought back time and time again. So it's all that's all cool and yeah. stuff. And I like. What, I like. The, here's the what, one of the things that makes this like. And again, I think we're both agreeing that it's kind of entertaining, but it's just, we're talking about why it's not great. And I do think that one of the things that elevates this is the cast is really good. 
They they mm-hmm. cat they well everyone's well cast here. Like Idris Elba mm-hmm. is a really great example of someone who can just be the action hero while also being running doing running commentary mm-hmm. on it without sacrificing the yeah. film. The the relationship between Idris Elba and John Cena was really good. Yeah, because John Cena is just sort of this like hateful asshole, and uh, Idris Elba is like well. I mean, I'm a murderer, but you're insane, and that's sort of their banter. It felt like some things I've seen in The Mm. Tick. Yeah. Uh, That that one, that relationship was really fun. There's a sequence where um, they're sort of competing to see how many people they can murder, which is amusing, and and has has kind of a fun coda, but that's just like a tiny bit of the movie. Yeah, Uh, let's Uh, see. What what I'm sensing from this movie, you're comparing it to, like, the straight-to-video version of of Suicide Squad. Or at least the low-budget, like, you know, Italian spaghetti version. Yeah, maybe. Like like the American. Americans made Suicide Squad in like 1970, mm-hmm. and then Italy made their version in 1972. They're called with, Guido Kill Yourself Guy. Yeah, or yeah, something like yeah. that. But like, you know, there's this whole like long standing tradition of like Italian knockoff cinema. Sometimes they're as good or better than the original American films, and this feels like the sort of thing where like, yeah, if like Enzo G. Castellari had made this movie in 1972 with a bunch of like American TV actors who fled America because they couldn't get good roles and they can get better <laughs> stuff in Italy. That would be, and they would be this, but it would have like 180th the budget. Right. And it would have been probably really good. <laughs> um, I am... Um... I think this is more like something like um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, um, which I know is very notorious. And I'm not saying that this is like a, not, not a, a I'm not comparing it to like yeah. it's not a disaster like that. But when I'm watching a film like that or Ready Player One or some of uh, Steven Spielberg's latter day action films, mm. it, it seems to me like his heart isn't in it. He's exploring a lot of tech. But I'm not getting the same sense of thrill or wonderment that he brought to some of his earlier action films. And I think the reason for that is he, uh, he as a filmmaker, is less interested in that sort of thing. Uh, he is more interested in some of more of his adult dramas, which is why films like Lincoln and The Post and Munich are actually much better, better thought out, better made movies. I think his heart is in those films. I think you're right. I think this does feel like James Gunn kind of dashed this off. Yeah, like, like, he, know, like he, he was having fun. He was asked like, to do, he was asked to do something that I think his heart really isn't in anymore. He's, mm. he's not the trauma guy anymore. He's not 21. Yeah. He's not out there to shock people or prove a point. He's there to work for a big studio. Mm. He's done several of these. I think he likes making these mm-hmm. effects based studio and I, films. And I think his, I mean, not that, like, not to make this into a Marvel versus DC, see thing because who cares but uh i think his guardians of the galaxy movies i think he's got more affection for those characters and he's actually Mm -hmm. more interested in exploring them as people like i think he like rocket raccoon is a character that he actually like identifies with and wants (laughs) us to really feel things about Mm -hmm. i think i think guardians of the galaxy volume two is a big old sloppy mess of a movie but i also know that at the heart of it there's a real you know issue here of dealing with you know father issues yeah and like dealing with someone who happens to have birthed you but isn't the person who raised you and getting used to that and i mean that's a that's a storyline that's been done in movies and tv since the dawn but like it's every still something he seemed to really care about and here i don't uh, think he cares about anything but parental issues especially father issues are at the core of most superhero stories these days a lot and i'm not even jj abrams decided to make star trek about that yeah it's and i'm I don't think this is necessarily um, some sort of grand cultural analysis of the breakdown of the family unit so much as it is lazy writing. We need some sort of of motivation so a lot of screenwriters fall back on tropes. I also think it's fair to say, I will say this, Mm. I do think it's fair to say that there are some 
themes that a lot of people connect to. I think people who have issues with their parents, that's a very common theme. Just well, because you know, everybody I, has parents. I, but, yeah. or, or they don't, and they have issues with that. But mm. like the idea of our connection to the people who raised us or failed to raise us or couldn't for some reason, uh, I think that's something that affects a lot of people in the way that they view the world and the way that they view themselves. And it's something that a lot of people feel the need to explore in art. And I don't think that's unreasonable. However, I do think it's fair to say that after a while, you've seen enough of those that it's harder to make them exciting for the audience. Mm. Uh, because we've we've seen it done a lot, haven't we? That's yeah. not a doesn't mean it's an invalid theme. It just means it's been done a lot, and we're a little used to it now. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not I'm not complaining that the Guardians of the Galaxy had that theme. I actually think that the fact that it had that theme elevates it above some of James Gunn's other stuff, which doesn't seem to have much of a theme at all, really. Mm. Um, and I think that's more interesting for him to actually see him grow yeah. as opposed to this, which feels like a bit of a throwback. This is just like, yeah. Oh, I can do a fun thing with the DC universe. And well, there are no rules to speak of cause these, no one cares about these characters. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and he can have a good time and you know what? I had a good time. It's a fun watch. It's, it's an entertaining, you know, it, it's, it's a little it's it's cynicism is a little too immature for my taste sometimes, but it, I had a really good time mm. with it. I, I I wanted it to do something with its cynicism, sure. rather than just have it be kind of gloss over a really, at the end of the day, really typical kind of superhero rescue story. Mm. Um, its racial politics are a little odd. Yeah, it's a uh, lot of Americans a, coming a into a South of, American um, country uh, to kill non-white people, and that's not addressed in any kind no. of way whatsoever. And I think this was the the filmmaker's attempt to like set it in a place like outside of the U S like outside of the world. So they can have this sort of fictional country, but it is a South American country. Yeah. They don't and really it resembles a lot of real world politics that they're not talking See, that's about. That's my thing. It touches these yeah. things. It's like, no, we, we, we talked about Americans getting, you know, mm. getting militaristically involved in other countries. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, did you say anything about that? Or did you just show it and try to make it look cool? Because I think, you did yeah. the second one, and, and that's uh, pretty irresponsible. And and uh, another critic pointed this out to me: the character of Harley Quinn uh, commits murder. She oh, yeah. mur- she's has murdered plenty of people over the course of these movies, mm-hmm. and she tends to murder people of color, which is a little odd. Uh, the mm. number of white people she murdered is very very low, uh, whereas. That's not great. Yeah, and and that's a detail that people aren't addressing either. Um, well, again, you put them in this in this movie where almost all the people they can kill uh, are people of color. A, that's a stupid idea. You probably shouldn't have done that. And uh, B, uh, that will that will tip that scale, won't it? <clears throat> like, there's yeah, yeah, that part sucks. So, and, and you know, that's just irresponsible filmmaking. This isn't Agreed. the malevolence in filmmaking. Yeah. Also, uh, I'm going to say this right now, and it's, people have been joking. I heard people joking about this. I don't know what they were talking about. But I've, I've, having seen the movie, I get it. A lot of people were joking that James Gunn has something against birds. And I'm going to say it right now. Having mm. seen the movie, yeah, this movie is not kind to birds. <laughs> yeah. Bad things happen to birds in this movie. All entirely unjustified. It's not like there's an evil bird out there. Like, it's not like, you're like oh, yes, good old bird creature there's, is there's out one, here. Killing one bird has a bomb in it, so we have to kill a hundred birds. I mean, you've got a supervillain who can control rats like why not mm. someone who can control birds or is a bird or whatever there's you know an, a, a knockoff version of Hawkman or whatever you could have done that mm. uh, no just actual birds and 
Man, they get the short end of that sick. Yeah. If, if That's this not were, good uh, time for birds. If this were a 45-minute pilot, if it were animated, if it had a really small budget, uh, there it would have felt a lot better, but... The way it was packaged, it feel yeah, it feels like nothing. It feels kind of insubstantial. Yeah. Uh, the, the cynicism is okay. The humor isn't as funny as it ought to be. I should have been having more fun. Yeah, and I, I ultimately only had a little, and that's yeah. that's kind Which of is, a pity. And it's frustrating sometimes because we end up talking about a movie that you know has has things to recommend it, but mm. the things that they did wrong are kind of distracting, and we it's our responsibility to explain not why this is terrible although i think parts of it definitely are ill-advised it's our responsibility to explain why it's not great because Mm. it's not it's i think it's the sort of thing that like yeah if this were smaller it would have been a lot more forgivable but it's just so huge that the fact that this stuff didn't really get thought about or addressed Mm. or or improved is all the more distracting yeah, to it's, me. And it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Yeah, it, it's a case of, they're, they're thinking of the characters and the fun things they can do with the characters more than they are a story. And there's no story to tell other than, let's see what we can do with these people. And I know a, a lot of comic book movies get a lot of traction on that. It's like, mm-hmm. what, what's the story of uh, Wonder Woman 1984? Well, the draw is Wonder Woman. We just want to see her. We want to see her do Wonder Woman stuff. I, I, Wonder Woman 1984 was a frustrating mixed, missed opportunity because mm. there's so many things you could have done with setting in 1984. What with you Which, know the uh, the uh, you know the, the advancement of uh, feminism and feminist mm. movements in America, where politics were in America in the Reagan years, the Cold Reagan, War. Reagan's a character in yeah. it, and it's this weirdly apolitical movie. Yeah, the, you know, there's so many things that they kind of that's bring a, out, and like that movie is almost entertainingly yeah. weird. But there's so many things that aren't thought out very well in it. It's, it's very and it's another film that uh, has a, a South American dictator, isn't it? Uh, he's not a dictator. No, no, no. Oh. There's a, there's a Middle Eastern uh, oil baron. Okay, and then there's uh, um, uh, I forget the Maxwell Lord. Okay, is uh, he's he's not a dictator, although he just tries to rule the world. Oh, okay. yeah. So it's not not quite the same thing, but uh, yeah, 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 it's still still wonky. Um, anyway, oh. thank you, PlayStation. <laughs> my your, uh, your Dual Shock is running low. No, my Dual Shock. Not my Dual Shock. Oh, let's move on and let's okay. talk about another movie that. Mm. that also, I don't think tells the story very well. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Leos Carax's Annette. Um, Annette, uh, what a curious animal. Uh, I saw the Sparks documentary, The Sparks mm-hmm. Brothers, which uh, directed by Edgar Wright, which came out earlier this year. Sparks are, uh, in brief, a new wave band. They've been making music pretty steadily since... Uh, the 70s, the, right? The late 60s, I think they started. Wow. Um, yeah, long, long time. And they are, uh, they're a quirky band, uh, brothers uh, Ron and Russell Mayle. Uh, their music has sort of a, a little bit of a snarky sense of humor to it. There's several layers of irony you have to chip through with every Sparks song. And they've been I, trying I, I, I'm to, of the uh, opinion that Sparks is always at their best when they're being whimsical. And, yeah, uh, yeah. They've done a lot of whimsical. All I do now is dick around. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite Sparks songs. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna take a walk in the rain and you're gonna get wet. I predict. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're they're a very they're a very playful band and they've been trying to make a movie for a long time. According to the documentary, they tried to make a movie with Jacques Tati at one point. Mm-hmm. That fell through because Jacques Tati was very old. Uh, then they tried to make a movie with Tim Burton. That fell through. Uh, and now they finally hooked up with Leos Carax, who I think is a good pair because uh, Leos Carax also has. 
a little bit of a wry sense of humor and mm. probably understands the Sparks tone. And so they've made an opera together. Yeah. Originally, this the the uh, Sparks had done like a theater uh, musical about like the life of Ingmar Bergman. But mm. that ended up not being the project that they made together. And they ended up making this very odd musical about a professional stand-up comedian played by Adam Driver. Uh, who is in love with and marries an opera singer played by Marion Cotillard. Uh, bad things happen and he ends up the uh, sole parent of their daughter, Annette, who is played by a marionette. A marionette. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know if the character is named Mary Annette, but uh, yeah. y- you know the Sparks Brothers like wanted to do that. And they said, mm, mm. let's just say Annette. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. The baby is played by a marionette, and the baby grows up. And uh, the Adam Driver character—he's not just a stand-up comedian; he's like a shock stand-up comedian. Yeah. He calls himself what is it, the Ape of Man, the Ape of God, the Ape of God. And yeah, yeah he's uh, yeah d- tells like shocking, horrible mm. jokes that often get him booed, and yeah. he is. Uh, I, I, also em- embroiled in a scandal where uh, there's actually a really uh, one of my favorite musical numbers is when uh, women come forward to accuse him of all of these horrible things that he's done. Except if you're watching the movie, it's you can't be entirely sure if that's actually mm. happened or if it's a dream Marion Cotillard had in the back of a limo. Yeah, there's there's weird yeah. there's well, and because that one of the characters is a marionette, there's a, a a scene where they're lost at sea on a ship, and it all looks very artificial because they're yeah. they're making it on a stage, and it looks and it mm-hmm. looks very deliberately like a set. Uh, you can't really be sure how much of this is real, how much of it is a dream, or if it's just this big bonkers fantasy. Mm, except it's not really that bonkers. And mm. one of the things that's fr- that's frustrating about the movie, this movie's over two hours long. Yeah. Uh, and about half of it is Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard singing the following thing back to each mm. other. We love each other no, we're so, so much. Love. We're so we in love. We love each other so much. And and but this doesn't play like We love each <laughs> other so much. The that repeated we refrain doesn't feel like um like a, a movie I actually really hate, uh, uh, Moulin Rouge, where they sing, you know, I'm so in love, I'm so in love, and that's supposed to be incredibly earnest. And oh, she's bumping into things. And uh, you're supposed to like feel the depths of love every time they repeat that mm. refrain. Because this is made by such an impish uh, songwriters and such an impish filmmaker, every time they sing it, you buy it less. And that's sort mm-hmm. of the point. Every time they say it, you can tell that they don't mean it. Right. It's not so much that, I, that I'm that i not picking up on that. It's that um, I don't give a fuck. And that's <laughs> the thing that's frustrating about this movie. I get what you're going for. And mm. as the story goes on and you start to have a little bit more magic in it and you start to realize just how horrible a person Adam Driver is playing. Um, and we're supposed to be like sort of ramping up, becoming something bigger and more uh, metaphoric. And um, the first half of this movie, almost nothing happens. Mm. And to a point that it's really, really frustrating. It opens with a really good musical number, actually. That's just everyone making the movie agreeing to start making the movie. Mm -hmm. And that part's really, really wonderful. It's got a lot of energy. And then it loses all of its energy immediately. And we see Adam Driver's stand-up act, which is not funny. Death. Mm -hmm. It's so awful when you're watching a movie and someone's supposed to be like super creative and a genius. And then you watch it and you can't even pretend. 
Well, I thought that was the joke. He's that he's not funny. Nobody laughs. He's really sort of offensive. He's not telling jokes. The people are in it though, because like people are like the, the audience is like, in the, the mm. there's a whole musical number where the audience is like he's, responding like br- to him, brilliant artist, and giving yeah. him the prompts that he wants. He's manipulating them. They're mm. a putty in his hands. They're here to see this, and they seem to be satisfied by it. Mm. And at the end, he says, "I killed." Like it was a successful show, and the show is oh. not a good <laughs> show. The show is actually a pretty bad show, mm. and I laughed like once. Like it's not great, and it's not really like well thought out or meaningful, and doesn't really go anywhere. And then she's doing opera and it's all very sad and I get it. But then, seriously, it's like they they walk around and then they have sex for a really long time. And then and they, there's... They sing, a, they sing while having sex. Yep. And uh, then there's a couple of like clips of like a fake Entertainment Tonight show because you know how much Entertainment Tonight loves covering opera singers. And uh, then a couple of things that may or may not have happened and then there's a tragedy and then like there's like one plot point left for the rest of the movie and i'm not saying i need my movies to be full of plot hell one of adam driver's best movie probably his best movie is patterson which has next to no plot but at no point in that movie did i feel like so bored i wanted to like throw my laptop away <laughs> and here i was bored i think mm, the music it's... is drab i think the storyline uh... is dull and when it finally does something weird mm. you've long since lost me you've long since lost me and i no longer care i i think the the first half of the movie has the best music when the le- least is going on in terms of like story and plot that's mm. when it's the most exciting yeah and it's when they kind of have to move it along in this operatic way that it starts to feel a little contrived that go goes on for far too long way I, too I, long. I, it's two hours and 20 minutes and i agree that's too there's long like for 90 this minutes project. of movie in here if you ask me um but what i saw was uh sort of a, a work of satire the mm. idea that he goes out does this unfunny show and then steps backstage and says i killed is a joke I saw it as a comedy, uh, mm. like a laugh line. And the fact that Adam Driver is revealed increasingly over the course of the film to be a hideous human being is the gag of the film. Unfortunately, that's such a slight gag. It doesn't warrant all that back-end stuff where he continues to do horrible things I don't think it's... and he's never really called on it. I, I get it. You know, I'm watching a movie like Annette and I, I honestly believe that one of the most valuable things any critic can do when you're watching mm. a movie that isn't working for you, yeah. is asking, is it me? Mm. Am I the reason, like, is it my fault for looking at this from the wrong angle? Is there another angle I can watch this movie from that makes it good? Yeah. Am I maybe looking at it as the wrong genre or the wrong tone? Or do I have a lot of expectations coming in and this is just not what I wanted? And if that's not the movie's fault and I need to rewire myself to get on the movie's wavelength, then maybe I can find a way to make this work. There's no guarantee that you will. Mm. But it can potentially save a movie-going experience if you can be self-aware enough to know 20 minutes in, this isn't clicking with me. Is there a way to make it click? Mm. I tried really hard. <laughs> and I nev- and I thought about it. Is this supposed to be satirical? If it is satirical, it's thuddingly obvious. It doesn't mm. say anything interesting whatsoever that's, about the entertainment industry or my, relationships. Uh... And I find that so empty. And like even more, like at least Suicide Squad knows that it's empty. I feel like this one does not. I feel like this one thinks yeah, it's the, saying something the, interesting, and I, there's nothing interesting I, about it. I think it starts to say something interesting, and uh, and then it says it, and then continues to repeat it in more grandiose words, mm. but less impressive ideas. Yeah, and it there's really, it really, here. really runs out of steam, like a lot, a lot, a lot by the end. I do want to say I really like Simon Helberg in this. 
Oh, is the conductor? Yeah, he's a, he plays initially. He plays uh, Marion Cotillard's uh, accompanist, mm. and uh, he sings about how he wants to be a conductor. And then, like thirty minutes later into the movie, we cut to him conducting the orchestra. And he's singing about now I'm a conductor, and it's pretty great. And he has like a couple of bits where he's talking about the plot and how he feels. And there was apparently a major storyline that we weren't privy to. And then he says, "Excuse me a moment," and then he does a huge bombastic thing and then like and then he goes back to just being in his own head and it reminded me a little bit of that preston sturgis film unfaithfully yours mm. you ever see that no i didn't see that one that's a oh great 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 dark comedy about a conductor who thinks his wife is cheating on him uh and while he is conducting the orchestra he's imagining scenarios in his head of how he can murder her because he's so jealous mm. and by the end of the and they're all weird and funny and ridiculous and then at the end of the of the show, he goes back home and tries to put each one into effect, and all of them bomb spectacularly. <laughs> and it turns out he was wrong about the whole thing, and it's just all about being inside your own head and like mm. having these like catastrophic uh, uh, fantasies. And it's really quite good. And so, like the idea of him being in his own head, thinking about this while he was conducting for momentarily, I was kind of swept up in the movie because I like his character, Adam Striver's character. I don't give a crap. Marion Cotillard's character is. Mm. The only thing interesting about her character is there's one bit at the end where Annette is actually able to talk and not just sing. She's old enough to talk. And she actually says something pretty damning to her father, but also about her mother. Mm. And I thought to myself, oh, yeah, fair play. Oh. <laughs> you know, like they kind of brought it together a little bit at the end, but not enough to save it. Not not after. I, what I appreciate is that this is Sparks finally doing what they wanted to do. Sure. I wish they had put more sort of like songs in it. They put only mm-hmm. like a lot of these extended arias and things where people are singing scenes to one another. Uh, while I appreciate the skill that goes into something like that, I always even when I'm watching something like Les Misérables, it's like just stop and talk for a second. Yeah, then, we don't. You know, we're just kind of you don't need to sing this scene. You're just sort of slowing down the, yeah. the dialogue at this point. Do you have a bathroom I can use? <laughs> yes, we have a bathroom you can use. <laughs> yeah, Do I much. need a key? No, we've got a code. What's the code for five three two? <laughs> we're just biding our time till master of the house. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, if there Helena were... Bonham Carter needed a costume change, yeah. <laughs> had to fill the space somehow. If if there were more, uh, like if they're going to have all those moments, if there were more like bangers throughout, like things that you could really sort of hum and put on a record and listen to while you're driving, I wouldn't have minded so much. <laughs> but uh, you know, I've I've heard a lot of Sparks songs now, and I want them to. Give me more. I want yeah. more songs. It's, it's, use old ones. I don't care. They actually do use a few old ones, yeah. little, little bits and bobs here and there. But like, and for a moment, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's better. That mm. feels like real music. I will say this: I like the opening five minutes of this movie mm. a lot. Also, because it's our neighborhood. Also, it is. It's, yeah, it's right up the street. It's, it's a, like it's a mile from our house. Yeah, like you could, we could walk there like really easily. I didn't know they were filming that. That's hilarious. I'm like, I'm watching like, it's oh, up that's on, up on Santa Monica Boulevard. That's like the yeah. best mole restaurant in town. Mm. And like, that's where we get our art supplies. Yeah. And, ooh, the Non-Hut. <laughs> <laughs> the Non-Hut is a really great yeah, underappreciated restaurant. They're, they're across the street from the bank like, and uh, Lemley's Royal Theater. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that was kind of fun, but also just that's the best song in the movie. You mm. peaked way too early. It's a lot like La La Land, where like that, that opening, like Another Day of Sun, is such a great number, mm. and it's so like about Los Angeles and yeah. traffic, and, and it's yeah. so vividly realized, and it's actually got like some ambitious choreography and everything like that. And then to have, and then the movie just loses a lot of energy after that, and this mm. one loses all of its energy 
after I, that. And I, I, I really just did not connect with this at oh, all. Okay. I, I, I see what they were getting at. I found it spectacularly uninteresting. I, I appreciate its sense of humor. I agree with you that it runs out of energy eventually. Uh, I, I was carried along for about the first half. Okay. Um, I, I appreciate that they're doing something a little weird. I wish they had gone weirder. Yeah. There was a lot more they could have done with this premise. Um, given what I know about Leos Carax and about uh, the uh, Sparks, mm-hmm. I know that they're capable of a lot stranger, and I wish that they had gone deeper and further. Well, tell me about the other musical that you watched mm. this way. I didn't get to see Vivo, the new mm. animated musical, with songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who, of course, uh, did the In mm. the Heights and Hamilton. How is uh, Vivo? Uh, I like Vivo a lot. Uh, speaking of uh, Speaking of uh, good music carrying a movie along, I feel that way about Vivo. Um, I'm... I, I guess I'm a Lin-Manuel Miranda stan now yeah. uh, because I, I, I didn't see Hamilton until it aired on Disney Plus and mm-hmm. I just fell in love immediately. And then I saw it in, in the Heights and I adore in the Heights. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in this one, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda plays a kinkajou who is part of a performing duo on the streets of Havana with mm-hmm. an elderly guitarist. Uh, the guitarist is played by, let me look up the cast here. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not know. Uh, da, 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 da. You can do it. I believe Juan DeMarcos Gonzalez. Got it. Uh, and yeah, they perform on the streets and Lin-Manuel Miranda is the rapping kinkajou. And if you were to tell me that there's a CGI movie with a rapping kinkajou, like last year, I'd say, get that thing away from me. <laughs> uh, but it's Lin-Manuel Miranda rapping and I have a weakness for the way he rhymes. So uh, I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, when the elderly the elderly owner likes to reminisce about his glory days and how he had a, like, by the way a kinkajou is like kind of like a it's like, like a, a le- it's like a lemur. lemur yeah it's like a, yeah. a, a true an or arboreal yeah. creature they're very adorable they're very uh, adorable. yeah look up yes. a picture of a kinkajou yeah, they're, they're, they're really cute k i n k a j o u yeah just i realize that's kind of an esoteric animal thing. okay yeah okay <laughs> um but yeah uh Andres, the main character, uh, in his glory days, had an affair with uh, Marta, played by Gloria Stefan. And uh, they've been separated for many, many years. She's been performing in Florida. He's been in Cuba. And uh, when he uh, passes away, rather unexpectedly, it's up to Vivo, the kinkajou, to deliver a song that he wrote for her to her in Florida. So Aww. it's up to the kinkajou to go to Florida and deliver oh, wow. the song. Um, Vivo can, we hear him speak, but the other people can't hear him speak. So he's running sort of like Garfield like dialogue or he's mm. giving running commentary on the human world. He ends up falling in love, uh, falling in love, falling in with mm. a young girl, uh, named Gabby is played by a newcomer named Inerali Simo. And she's really great. She has a, a number about how she wants to be a drummer and they end up teaming up and to deliver the song to Gloria Estefan. Um, there are a few cliched cartoon things, like when the kinkajou gets lost in the woods and starts talking to other animals, then mm. it, it just becomes death. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to see them escape the snake. I don't want to see the, the loving spoonbills sing a song. That, that's not interesting to me. The loving spoonbills? Yeah. That's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> I can work with that. There, there's, I can work with there, that. That's, there's a pair of spoonbills in there. I would not be. Able, if you pitch, story, if but... I'm executive producing this movie and you pitch that to me, yeah. I'd be like, "All right, here's <laughs> a check. I'll give you that one. Don't. I'm going to slide it slowly, but back, I'm still going to slide it. Don't toward come you. back until all the money has been spent. <laughs> uh, it's it's slight, but it's incredibly lively, and I do love the music. Yeah. Um, the design is okay. Uh, it it as a 
visual uh, treat. You know, it's very colorful in the way a lot of these animated films are. But uh, the the best visuals come from uh, the flashback and the dream sequences because mm. they're animated in two D. And oh. they do like these very uh, stylized block, and the rest colorful of it is block CG, style. Right? And the rest is all CG. Okay. So yeah, um, That's nice. those flashbacks are really beautifully created. Uh, I wish more films just did it. Just that sounds weird. Doing two like, D. I've seen I'm so fine. many like CG movies that have like two D sequences, and I'm, like I remember like uh, when uh, uh, Sherlock Gnomes came out, and mm-hmm. they had these like really interesting like bits where like Sherlock Gnomes would like deduce things and like go into his memory palace mm. or like whatever and it just started all of a sudden it looked really interesting <laughs> and like really exciting and like all kinds of dazzling like designs and everything and then I'm like great why is this in CG because the CG mm. makes it look like crap and your 2D looks awesome yeah, there, what there is was the a, matter there's a flashback sequence in uh, like it's we paid se- for the computers we gotta use the, the computers I guess I think it's the seventh Harry Potter film where mm. there's they tell the origin of like these three mystical objects oh the Deathly Hollows. yeah, 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 yeah. and, and it, that's realized through this really kind of bizarre looking animated sequence yeah, and they clearly that, hired yeah. a different uh, team and it's all like, like these stick men and everything's sort of shadowy and that was really cool looking it's like oh well you know what? I would be okay if the film went from being live action to being an- like the series just uh-huh. all of a sudden was animated. I, I'm telling you, there's it's only a matter of time before they do like an animated reboot of that. Like, imagine yeah. if it's Harry Potter, but like they do it as a TV series, one book per season. Yeah. And like, I mean, granted, I don't want to give J.K. Rowling any more money right now, mm. but I think it's only a matter of time before they decide that like everyone was like so unhappy with all the stuff they had to cut out of each book anyway. That way you wouldn't have to cut anything out. Flesh it all out. And if it's animated, you don't have to worry about, like, actors, like, growing up too fast. Mm. So I I think that's inevitable. I really, really do. I think that's only a matter of time. I mean, a lot of these films are so much CGI anyway. We're going to have animated characters. It's only going to be... I know a lot of actors are putting stipulations in their contracts now that their likenesses can or cannot be used, like, 50 years down the line. Mm -hmm. Robin Williams Williams brilliantly did that. He He made a thing where it's like, after I'm dead... You can't use like pre-recorded stuff of me to make new stuff. It's one of the reasons why the original plan for that live-action Aladdin was they were mm-hmm. going to use Robin Williams's original recordings and outtakes, and, and it would just be a CGI over, oh God. genie. And that and that, that, was, that was totally tasteless. That Jesus. was the plan, and then uh, but it was in Robin Williams's contract. There's a certain I think it's 30 years for him or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like after his death, you can't do that. Yeah, I know. You can't uh, just exploit him like that. And good for him. I know. Uh, God, it's Robin Williams. <laughs> so in the case, we're we're off Vivo. Uh, Vivo is uh, good. It's lively. Uh, like I said, it's it's mm. pretty slight. But I love again. It's a slight movie with really good music is in it, it and is that it carries it a long like, way. Humming it to yourself. Ever yeah, since? like the, the, nice. the beat of my own drum song. I can actually hum back. Um, nice. And uh, yeah, there's something about Lin Manuel. Miranda's rapping like he's really clever with wordplay he's really clever with wordplay he's got really good rhyming structure and he raps in a way like he's constantly running out of breath Mm -hmm. which makes it sound kind of sort of like frantic and fun so I actually like the way he raps yeah Uh, so yeah when he's uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda the the rapping kinkajou movie is pretty good actually uh Who'd have thunk it? That's great. The, 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 bi- the big, broad experimental opera from the 80s new wave band is a, a, <laughs> somewhat of a bust, but uh, yeah. Lin Manuel Miranda makes a the, rapping the, kinkajou The film. animated film about the rapping kinkajou film is do- doing it for me now. Which uh, just goes to show you, you never know. You never know. If you had asked us like before we go, which one of those is probably the better film, we might assume that the I, film I from, the director, the, from like director of Holy Motors mm. would probably be the better one. <laughs> but no, you cannot have anticipation. 
anticipation. You cannot mm-hmm. like decide in your head what the narrative is going to be. You just got to let the movie tell you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's on Netflix. Go ahead and watch Vivo. Right. I, I know that uh, Lin Manuel Miranda has signed a contract. I think he's making a whole bunch of movies for Netflix now. Good. Uh, in this caliber, sort of like yeah. he's writing a bunch of songs for like animated films. Great. I'm down. Uh, I like him as a songwriter. He hasn't disappointed me yet. So yeah, go for it. All right. Um, excuse me. Hmm. Late. <laughs> Fighting a yawn I'm, there. I'm, That's, I'm, I'm not bored. My, uh, I'm just tired. Sorry, my reviews can keep you so scintillated. No, it's fine. I'm sorry. It's I, I yeah, tried to hide it from the podcast audience. I can't hide anything from you. Um, all right, one last film to review, and there's no good segue here, like at all. There's nothing. There's no connected tissue. Um, this is a documentary from uh, Lucy Walker. Lucy Walker had previously directed Oscar-nominated documentary shorts. Uh, she had oh, what was it the Mm. Hold on, what was it called? It was like the something, something, and the something, something. It was great. <laughs> Sh- Harry Potter and the Deathly she Hallows? Did, she did a film called Wasteland, and she did a okay. film called The Tsunami and the Cherry Blossom, which I remember oh, very vividly. Wasteland, was that about the people who uh, make art out of garbage? and yeah. live, live in the, Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, I've I seen saw, Wasteland. Both of them were Oscar-nominated, so we okay. both saw them. Uh, and then Tsunami and the Cherry Blossom was about the tsunami in uh, Japan. Mm. Uh, and uh, she is, uh, she's, I think she's British, and she had moved to California, and she w- decided to make a documentary about how wildfires have been escalating in California over mm. the last 10 years or so. Uh, if yeah, you're and and if this you, is if you live here, you know that. Well, if you live here, you know that. If you live anywhere, you know that wildfires are starting to become a really global phenomenon. I mean, it's always been an issue. Mm-hmm. It's always been something that can and did happen, but it's been escalating a lot. We just had one of the worst wildfires in, I think it might actually still be going, uh, the Dixie Fire. Yeah, I think, one of the worst fires we've ever had in California. And I, uh, I think the worst fire we've ever had in California, we've had like five of those in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And the one, this is a documentary about uh, like the deadliest day where it yeah. was uh, the, uh, the campfire. Uh, which is the name of it. That's mm-hmm. what they call it. Um, up in Northern California. And then there were two other ones. And then there was a really bad one in Malibu. Um, but yeah, I mean, Greece has been going through this. Australia had an apocalyptic mm-hmm. wildfire. I think it was last year. Uh, and they show some footage from that at the beginning of this movie, mm-hmm. uh, Bring Your Own Brigade, that honestly had me in tears. It's basically, it was just like mm. showing this koala who was like being burned and everything like that people mm-hmm. trying to save it. And it's like, this is like five minutes into the movie and I'm in tears Oof. because it's just so brutal. So I just want to let you know, there's some really harsh stuff in this movie. Um, they blur out the images of dead bodies, but they talk a lot about how like firefighters mm. are trying to save people. And now their job after the fire is done is to sift through the ashes and try to find the skeletons of the people they tried to save yesterday. And like, it's really brutal. And they, sh- but they show footage of like, you know, like horses who didn't make it. And it's like, it's, re- and they're, they're trying to, it's for a reason. Mm. Like it's, it's there to like, make you realize the severity of this. I get it. I'm not saying it's irresponsible, but it is, it's, it could really overload your senses. And if that sounds like it's way too much for you, I totally get it. I just want you to know about that going in because it's very front loaded, mm-hmm. all that imagery. And basically Lucy Walker is putting you with as much footage as possible, like of the actual event and people within the event, uh, showing you just how absolutely horrifying it is to be trapped to caught in a wildfire and how quickly mm. they can they can completely overtake a town. 
and people are trying to evacuate and they had had all these evacuation plans. Okay, here's what happens if we need to evacuate zone eight. Here's what happens if we need to evacuate zone four. They had no plan to evacuate every single person in the county simultaneously because no county is laid out like that. Yeah. So people are trapped in traffic jams and they're feeling their cars starting to melt. And it's horrifying. And that's about the first third of the movie. The rest of the movie is basically like, okay, many people made it. Quite a few people did not. More property damage than we can possibly describe. People have lost memories, loved ones, pets. Now what do we do? Well, there's a lot of people trying to rebuild, people opening their homes up to other people. Isn't that lovely? But we also need to figure out why this is happening and how to prevent it from happening at least as badly ever again. And it would seem that the obvious solution to this is climate change, but that's really only part of it. And I'm glad that this documentary focuses on other stuff, too, mm. because that's all that's all real. That's an important factor here. But there's also a lot of things that human beings are doing that are making it worse than it even needs to be. Like, uh, for example, the logging industry, when they l remove all the trees from the area and log them, they're supposed to plant more. Mm. They plant them so densely that now when some, one thing gets on fire everything gets on fire really fast because oh, no. they're too close together. Uh -huh. So there's no like distance between them. Everything is guaranteed to go up into kindling. And they're basically planting trees that are the trees you make matchsticks out of, which is <laughs> literally like, trees to be burned. Exactly. Yeah. So like it's, it's, uh, it's not a smart plan. And so we're talking about stuff like that, but there, the thing that ends up being just absolutely maddening and it feels, it would be comical if it wasn't so sad. Hmm is you start the movie with all of these like horrifying depictions of people who are desperate to leave their houses and are trying to like save their own lives and they're worried about their loved ones and loved ones who die and then the last two thirds of the movie are about like firefighters and local politicians trying to pass regulations that would prevent this from ever happening again and all of those same people we saw at the beginning of the movie voting against it. It's like, oh, okay, like, well, one of the problems in the Malibu fire was that there weren't enough firefighters to go around. So we've had a bill on the on the docket that would have raised the budget for firefighters and everyone voted against it because no one wanted to pay more taxes. There's a there's a thing on the uh, the, there's a ballot initiative they want to uh, put in the, the small town that got decimated by the campfire. Uh, and uh, there's you know, the firefighters are trying to say, like, OK, if we do these 10 things, mm -hmm. we can dramatically reduce the danger of wildfire we can't prevent a wildfire from ever happening but we can prevent it from being this apocalyptic ever again if we do these 10 things and everyone's like no that sounds like a lot of work and it's like okay well here's like the one thing if mm. we all do this one thing and it doesn't cost anything we can all potentially survive this a lot more easily and it's to make sure that between your house and anything in your garden that would be kindling like flowers mm. or wood chips or anything like that there's a five foot divide it's not necessarily how we aesthetically design our houses and like them to be, but it will prevent them from being caught up in forest fires, which attack here constantly. Hmm. And everyone is, and you see this like city council meeting where people are just like, they're trying to stop our community from being quirky. I love my rose bushes. They, they're a big part of my home. And I'm like, you don't have a home anymore. I'm, I'm learning because you had rose bushes. I'm learning more and more how much of politics is based very pointedly on trying to do as little as possible. Mm -hmm. Like, this should be easy. We shouldn't have to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. If something's work, no. 
Yeah. The, and and the, and this is beyond that's, party. This that's, is just that's sloth. One, yeah. That's one of the arguments they even had. It's just like I don't know if I want to like the police to walk around like giving people tickets for not having for having flowers in front of their house. We're not going to do that. So I'm voting against it. And I'm like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. And again, I almost wish this had like if this had like ended with like another blaze like at the end of it. I'm not that I want any harm to fall people, but if mm-hmm. we just like there are more wildfires to, to show. Because it just needs to show that we're there are things we can do, mm. and not just like I know like sometimes it's hard to look at like climate change as anything other than like an existential crisis. Like, what can we do now? And the answer is not a lot right now. That's going to mm. have like we we can't just flip a switch right now. We have to put in a lot of work so that in generations things might improve, or that right, we can at least prevent right. them from getting worse. But people just as a species we tend to be very short-sighted and we only care about what's right in front of us um and as difficult to make intergenerational plans exactly and so and and i get that that's hard but at the same time it's these are things we can do right now this is actual stuff that would have tangible results and we could do it right now Mm. but you don't want to re-landscape the front of your house and as a result, your house and possibly you and all of your possessions to boot could go up in flames at a moment's notice at any time. We have a tendency to vote against our own self-interests because it seems like too much work. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that you, you watch this movie and it's like, it's horrifying. It's horrifying to watch the fires, but it's equally horrifying to see people basically vote against their own self-interests mm-hmm. and i don't get it and i really don't get it and i'm sure there are elements of my life where i've done this too mm-hmm. uh and i really need to fucking stop doing that because yeah we are fucked if we don't get our shit yeah. together and actually like agree to do some things for the common good and not even complicated things simple things yeah, it's wear a mask by the way it's it's hard it's considered hard work to mm-hmm. care about others I, and 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 be decent and mm-hmm. a big uh flavor of our recent political history in this country is it's okay not to care now that mm-hmm. that was a big part of the Trump administration. Yeah, it's the validated people's selfishness. It, it's yeah. it's it's difficult to care about others. Uh, Anyone who I'm, says they uh, do care about I'm, others is being disingenuous. You're, you're either being disingenuous, or uh, when I was growing up, they they accused you of being a bleeding heart. That was the phrase that was banded mm. about. You're just a bleeding heart. Nothing could be worse yeah. than caring. It's like you're you're caring. Why are you putting all of this effort into caring for others? It's fine. You don't have to do the work. So mm-hmm. this Always idea look out of for number one, look out yeah. for number one, uh, yeah. and you know you look at somebody like Donald Trump, who's never cared about anything other than himself, mm-hmm. uh, and now he's sort of become this godhead for the people who feel like it's okay not to care anymore. Mm-hmm. And that I think is bleeding into a lot of what we're doing. And if we try to make any kind of leeway, people do vote against their interests, even with something as basic as let's prevent forest fires. Yeah. There's, there's no bad guy here. Fire is the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's the other thing I do appreciate. I just want to say this. The other appreciate the thing about the documentary is that they actually yeah. talk about how, Fire is not the bad guy. Yeah. Fire is symptomatic of a problem that, first off, there have been forest fires since before anything. 
Hmm. Lightning has caused forest fires, for God's sake. Like, yeah. just forest fires is a thing that happens. It's supposed to be a natural part of nature. You know, it's, it, uh, things are eliminated so that life can grow. Hmm. That's something that's just very common. It happens all the time. And they talk about how, like, when, you know, before the Europeans got to America, uh, the people here would often, people think about, like, you know, like, oh, America was this untamed wilderness. It was very tamed. People knew how to control the environment, and one of the things that they would actually do is they would have controlled burns mm. to to remove. Because right now, if you don't do that, you're basically just leaving kindling out in the woods. You're basically just leaving fuel out there that's going to mm. combust, and it's all going to get worse and worse the longer you wait. So there was an understanding that fire was actually something that was important to keep the ecosystem alive and humanity alive. Uh, but Europeans didn't come from a place where Europe doesn't have the same forest fire problems that America does, at least not all mm. of it. And so the documentary talks about how when Europeans came to America, the uh, the prevailing philosophy was all fire is bad. All fire mm. must be stopped. All fire must be prevented. Mm. But that's short-sighted because it lead, means that when there is a fire, the fire has that much more to burn. Mm. And that's something that we need to regret. We need to move back on. We need to mm. pull back on that and realize that that's not a healthy attitude about how to handle the environment. Mm. So it's a very good documentary. I I felt like I learned something, which is nice. Um, it wasn't just like trying to like you know make me feel like I already everything I already know is correct, which I think is important in a documentary. Uh, it's it has harsh lessons. It has harsh things to see, and I think the opening in particular is just painful and to the extent that i you know i can't recommend that to everybody but i do think it's a very good documentary mm -hmm. and so uh when we're reviewing our films on the critically acclaimed scale our scale once again uh is uh from c minus to c plus most films are average and average is a c mm -hmm. c minus is below average that's anything we just generally don't recommend or maybe we think it's terrible but just anything in that range and C-plus is above average. Things that we genuinely recommend. Maybe we think they're classics, or maybe we just think they're pretty good. Uh, and uh, on that note, I'm going to give Bring Your Own Brigade a C-plus. Okay. It's definitely not for all constitutions, but I do think it's a vital documentary, and I'm glad I saw it. Uh, on that note, Vivo. Uh, Vivo is is a, a high C. Okay. It's no no animated classic, but I did enjoy watching it. Fair. And, and the, the, the story is... is Okay, but the music is really good, and I like you know, that. Enough. Carries it a far. I liked it more than that, actually. Interesting. Okay, uh, Annette C minus. I uh, I can't in good conscience recommend <laughs> that you see this. It's I, such a bummer of a movie. I do give it a C just because I, I appreciate when this kind of odd experiment is at least is even tried, yeah. and the degree of success was enough that it it didn't fail entirely. I think it is too long. I think it runs out of energy at the end, but uh, there, there's enough of a sense of humor and enough of a quirk here to recommend it. I think there's about eight solid good minutes in this movie, and five of them are at the first five minutes. <laughs> I really just could not get it. I could not get into this one at all, and I, I get that they tried something big. Yeah, I think that I think that your success matters a bit more than that. This is not a hel yeah. helpful phrase, but uh, it's not for everyone. Well, true. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'll just leave it there. And uh, the Suicide Squad. Uh, it's not a total bust, but it's also not something I would want to necessarily encourage others to watch. So for, this is an interesting one because I feel like for me this is a C, not because it's mediocre, but because I feel like the good and the bad just average out. Yeah, yeah you know, that's, like, that's a good way to put it. Like, there's a lot of good character work here. There's some memorable bits and scenes and action. 
Uh, I certainly laughed. I like. There's a lot of things that I enjoyed, but I enjoyed it so superficially, and all of the things that bring the movie down are just cynical and immature, mm. and at at least casually racist. Mm. And I just, you know, you can't really support that. And I, so I it I, averages out to a very mixed bag. I, I wish it were more immature. I wish it were yeah. really kind of just adolescent and gross. I don't mind immature. I just it's cynically immature rubs me the wrong way. Okay, you know, like I think if you you can be immature. And just be having fun with it. Mm. And then there's immature, but like we're propagating kind of like a negative worldview. And at that point, I just feel like, who's this for? How is this helping anything? Even it's not even escapist at that point. It's just Mm. kind of sad. So that's not quite that's not quite what this movie is. But I feel like it tilted in that direction. Maybe so. You know, cynical teens need movies as well. But. uh, I don't. Fair. I don't think it. It has that bad attitude. I don't think it has enough of a point of view to have a bad attitude. I think it sort mm. of shies away into positivity far too quickly, mm. uh, despite all of its uh, profanity and despite all of its uh, violence. It never mm. tilts into anything threatening or entertainingly vulgar. Uh, it just. It, it feels really safe to me, and that's that's mm. the disappointing part. Um, it's it's a C, but it's a very dispassionate C. Um, it's you know head and shoulders above uh, David Ayer's Suicide Squad movie, but you mm. know the bar was on the floor for that one. Ain't that the truth? All right. Well, in any case, that is it for critically acclaimed this week. Thank you everybody for listening. You're awesome. Yeah, you're just really great, and we think you're the best. And um, it means a lot to us that you're here with us and enjoying these. Uh, well. Mm. Trying to enjoy these movies with us. We can't guarantee <laughs> well, we'll Watching movies along with us, perhaps. Uh, but in any case, we'll be back uh, next week with reviews of films. It's kind of what we do. Yeah, we got Don't Breathe 2 coming up. And other things as well. I don't actually know what I'm going to be able to get to this week, but we'll try our best, mm-hmm. won't we? Um, don't, don't Breathe 2. Surely there was like, keep not breathing mm-hmm. or hold your breath. There could have been a cleverer title. I'm sure. Hmm. Mm. Breathe this time. Now breathe even less. Should we don't breathe? T O O. Don't breathe. At least, too. at least, at least. Look who's talking this thing. Come on. <laughs> don't breathe now. Um. In any case, uh, but anyway, that's that's what's coming up and other things as well. Um. We uh we 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 well, have a show. We, we well, we have, Where am I going here? We have a whole network. In fact, yeah. uh, you can you can subscribe <laughs> to the critically acclaimed network. You can get uh, if you're a subscriber, each one of our tiers within the subscription service gets you access to more and more shows. If you can't get enough of us, boy, howdy, we're trying to provide. Yeah, we got uh, shows where we review we, the 1960s uh, Batman, every right. single movie ever nominated for Best Picture, every single episode of Star Trek. We just started doing the Next Generation, uh, and these are all at Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, we also have polls for future episodes of our various programs, hangouts online, the works. Um, and, of course, if you can't afford to, to support the show that way, we totally get it. We're very grateful all of our patrons, without whom our shows wouldn't exist. But if you want to help the show in other ways, leave us a review, subscribe, uh, tell a friend. Every, all, of the, all those things help. Uh, you can also uh, check out the Soap Store run by myself and M. Lapis da Silva. Uh, follow us on Twitter uh, at Salt Cat Soap or on Instagram at Salt Cat Soap. There's a link to the store right there. It's on Etsy, Salt Cat Soap. We just released a whole bunch of new designs uh, for August uh, and they smell amazing. So <laughs> please check them out. They're really, really nice. Uh, and uh, uh, Whitney still has another podcast as well. We don't talk about this as often That's as we true. should. That's yeah. uh, true. Over on the Screen's Margins, uh, B. Peterson's podcasting network, uh, I, I do a 
a weekly podcast with them. Uh, we're taking a week off next week, but uh, we'll be back the week after that. It's called All About Ovid, all spelled with O's. Uh, the least Googleable podcast uh, <laughs> title of all time. Uh, but yeah, uh, they and I talk about what we saw that week on Ovid, the streaming service, which mm. is like deep cut art house stuff. We uh, discuss uh, Best of Fest, which is a, a dance short festival, mm. all about dance shorts in the last nice. episode. We talk about the Cordillera of Dreams, uh, latest, the most recent film from Chilean filmmaker Patricio Guzman, who makes a lot of films about uh, Chilean politics. And we have a lot of interest. And we talk about The Green Knight as well, because we had thoughts on The Green Knight. Oh, good. That's not on Ovid, but you know, we decided to sandwich it in there. Why not? It's your show. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go go check out the Screens Margins uh, run by Pete Peterson. Uh, and of course, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at Lane Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you want to email us and ask, talk about anything we discussed in this episode, ask us questions, whatever, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. And uh, I think that's about that. So thank you everybody for listening. We think you're amazing. And never forget, everyone, yes, everyone, is a critic. I'm sorry, what?